Ahoy there, ye scurvy dogs. Batten the hatches and swab ye deck. I be your host, Steve. Ah, the field. <laughs> and I'm Leah. Today we'll be talking about all things piratey. Watch Arr. it, Wince. If you have an appetite for the strange and bizarre, then pull up a chair and grab a spoon for another intriguing serving of Remnant Stew. Remnant Stew is gluten-free, organic, made from all natural, free-range ingredients and guaranteed to provide the recommended daily serving of curiosity. So let's talk pirates. Phil, what comes to mind when you hear the word pirate? Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, what else? Anything like, you know, eye patches, eye patches and yeah. earrings, the parrots. Hook. The, the, the hook, yeah. The peg legs. Yeah. yeah. Horribly worn clothes. <laughs> well, raising a bunch of boys, you know, we had tons of books and toys centered around pirates. Oh, yeah. And whenever I would dress up for whatever Halloween thing my kids were doing, I almost always went as a pirate. Right. And, well, yeah, and I had all the clothes for the Renaissance Festival oh, when I worked at the sure. – And so changing it, you know, just adding a few things it was easily uh, made into a pirate. And uh, I got to tell you this funny story. So the kids in, in – and when they went to school, they didn't like celebrate Halloween necessarily. They so did much, storybook yeah. character right. day, yep, right? Yep, yep. And they made a big deal out of it, a parade and the teachers uh -huh. would dress up and everything. Right. Well, when, and I can't remember which boy it was, but one of them was in first grade and I, I offered to come that day to read a pirate book to him. And so I thought, well, I'm going to dress up as a pirate. Oh, you scared all the children. No, <laughs> no. I get in there, and apparently somebody decided that they weren't going to make a big deal about it that day. <laughs> Very few kids were dressed up, and no adults were dressed up. And but, I am full pirate regalia. I've got uh, ankle bells on my boots. And yeah. just, <laughs> and, and, uh, nice. I, I remember that one of the, the admins there, he's uh, the maintenance manager. He's like looking at me like, okay. <laughs> hey, you said storyboard day. But hey. Not I, my fault. <laughs> I just went in there and read the story. The kids loved it. The kids sure they loved did. It, yeah. So I'm sure they Absolutely. did. And from then on, they were celebrating it every that, year. That's right. <laughs> Well, talking about piracy, let's define it. According to Webster, piracy is the practice of attacking and robbing ships on the high seas. In popular culture, uh, we tend to associate piracy with the 17th and 18th centuries, mm -hmm. the so-called golden age of pirates. But actually, piracy goes back to much earlier times and also extends into modern days and goes into other areas as well, doesn't it? That's right. And, you know, in modern days, piracy, and we, we're just going to acknowledge this right off the bat, piracy was horrible. It was horrible. It was ugly. It pretty much always has been. But we're going to we're gonna kind of celebrate the yeah. pirate of the Hollywood, you know. You know but it's fun anyway, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, that's also right. when other countries would hire privateers. Oh, hush, yeah. that's what oh, I'm sorry. fixing privateer, to get into. Privateer, <laughs> yeah. Tell us what a privateer is. Well, a privateer, for example, is a person or a ship that has been commissioned by government in a time of war to attack other merchant ships, specifically, or not specifically, but especially, not only, uh -huh. but especially those of the country that's yes. the enemy. And, and, well, that would be the idea, right? Yeah, Seems kind they, of sneaky, if you ask me. Hid, they hid the idea behind that they were at war with them. They yeah. just hired them anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so so it's kind of like being a pirate legally, right. at least for the com country, country you're that you're working you know, for. Working for. <laughs> yeah. Not so legally for the others. Like they would just put you to death if oh, they yeah. caught you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're walking the blink. And another another term for a private, or I'm sorry, for a pirate or a privateer is a buccaneer. A buccaneer. According to a blog post on, and this is cool, marinersmuseum.org website, buccaneer is used synonymously with the idea of 17th to 18th century Caribbean pirates. Right. But it actually means something quite specific. The, Carib the Caribbean began to be colonized by Spain in the 16th century. They were like the first right ones there. Right after Columbus, right? And later when other nations like France, England, and the Netherlands started coming in and trying to settle in the Caribbean, the Spanish didn't like it too much, and they refused to trade with them. The only people that would trade with these nations were social outcasts like <laughs> mulattoes, uh, Native Americans, the, and shipwreck survivors who largely lived in the wild. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, we'll trade be, with you. Anything. Got there'd food. be enough of those people <laughs> that, that would 
be significant. But uh, these people sold supplies like water and meat to the non-Spaniards who started calling them buccaneers. The exact definition of the French term buccaneers is not known, but according to Colgrave's 1611 French-English Dictionary. Oh, I was looking at this the other day. Go ahead. <laughs> you just have it right on your yeah. shelf, right? I would have to blow it off. The closely <laughs> related French word boucan or boucanet. It's boucanet, sorry. Boucanet. Translate as a, translates as a wooden grid iron used to, to cook meat, just like what the outcasts use. Mm. Also, the French, I say that wooden grid iron, I think that's metal grid yeah. iron. Um, also, the French verb boucanet meant to hang around with low lives to imitate uh, or to imitate a foul-tempered billy goat. <laughs> well, that makes perfectly good sense now. <laughs> well, the, and Thank then, you for clearing that up for us. <laughs> the two words got meshed together to create the word buccaneer, meaning some, or sorry, buccaneer, meaning someone of a lowly station or an outsider. Anyone that wanted to fight okay. the Spanish would hire these buccaneers or mercenaries. And by 1680, the term buccaneer was being used to describe not just the locals, but any pirate or privateer in general. As a result, the buccaneer was a pirate or privateer operating in the Caribbean during that golden age of of piracy. And in that case, Captain Jack Sparrow would have been a buccaneer. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And thanks again to the blog post by Brian Whittenton or Whittenton on MarinersMuseum.org. Well, now, as mentioned earlier, you know, most of our stories do come from that 16th, 17th century time, the golden age of uh, piracy. But actually, uh, piracy goes way back even older than that. There's a really terrific website called FamousPirates.com. Uh, I don't know if it was actually written by pirates or it was just written about them, uh, most likely written about them. Were, were the R's very yeah. typed out multiple times? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest recorded instance of piracy dates back... From the 13th century B.C., we're going way back in in time, when the so-called Sea People targeted Egyptian traders on the Aegean and in uh, the Mediterranean Sea. These pirates took not only goods and cargo, but also uh, captured the ship's crew and sold them into slavery. Mm -hmm. Not very nice fellows. Then on the uh, 1st century B.C., pirates uh, from Sicilia, or Sicily, the island of Sicily, controlled much of the Mediterranean, and even managed to capture a very young Julius Caesar on one of his very first sea journeys. <laughs> oh, wow. The Roman Senate organized a military fleet of ships that managed to put the Sicilian pirates out of business for a while. Later on, then, in the year 286 AD, the Romans appointed a commander named Carusius to protect the English Channel uh, from the Franks and Saxon pirates that uh, tended to uh, hang out there. In the 4th century A.D., the young man who would later become known as St. Patrick was actually captured by pirates and forced to work for six years in Ireland. Would that have been called Shanghai? Shanghai <laughs> Shanghai by the shamrocks, I'm That's sure. Right. Well, in other parts of the world, uh, the Chinese Han Dynasty collapsed in the early 3rd century A.D., and for the next 300 years, there was no central government in China. This lack of authority emboldened pirates who created havoc in the seaways and even in the rivers of China and other parts of East Asia. Now, you might want to classify the Vikings from the 9th to the the 11th centuries as pirates. However, Vikings didn't generally attack other ships at sea. Rather, they sailed along coastal areas in Western Europe and raided villages by turning their half-starved Great Danes loose on the towns that they wanted to attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. They were nice fellows. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. That's where the, the term dog meat, uh, your dog so, meat like came from. <laughs> Well, by the 14th century, though, piracy in Western Europe had become so bad that the French and English actually stopped fighting each other and joined together to rid their common coastal waters of pirates that were based from North Africa. I wonder how weird that was for them. (laughs) We've got to cooperate. Now, back in Asia, there was a group called the W-O-K-O-U, Waku Pirates, that were formed in Japan in the 14th century. They regularly raided the coasts of China and Korea. That is, until the Ming Dynasty grew strong enough to fight them off. By the 16th century, new shipping routes to India and to the Caribbean allowed pirates to prey on the rich new shipping lines. Spanish vessels bringing uh, bringing gold, jewels, and other valuables from the New World back to Spain were prime targets of pirates. 
In the 15 years between 1623 and 1638, over 500 Spanish and Portuguese ships were captured by pirates. That's pretty wow, astounding. That is, that's a lot. That's wow. a lot. You know, 15 years, over 500 ships captured by pirates. Most of the accounts of pirates that we deal with uh, in this episode are from the 17th and 18th centuries. But we should also mention that pirates were still common throughout the world in the 19th century. And even as recently as 2005, a civil war in Somalia fostered pirate raids on ships exiting the Suez Canal off the Horn of Africa. You, did you ever see the movie Captain, Captain Phillips? Phillips yeah. I'm aware of it, but no, Captain, I haven't uh, seen Tom it. Tom Hanks. I thought you would have yeah. all Tom Hanks movies. <laughs> I love Tom Hanks, but no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a good movie. I, I saw that, but it was about a, a, some piracy that's still going on even, even now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a terrific website sponsored by the Museum of Arts and Sciences, and it's moas.org. And we find a great article titled Pirate Myths and East Coast Florida Pirates, written by a fellow named James Zacharias, who is the Senior Curator of Education and History at that museum. And we are very grateful uh, to Mr. Zacharias here at Remnant Stew because he's granted us permission to quote directly from his excellent articles. Thank Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Now, if you've ever mimicked pirate speak, well, we've actually done that here, uh, by saying, arr, and (laughs) shiver me timbers, well, you're probably not correct. Pirates most likely never really spoke like that. Those are Hollywoodized uh, notions. In reality, though, no one knows exactly how pirates spoke. Well, because most of them didn't know how to write, and they never actually wrote down their their vernacular that they used. Uh, Another famous pirate myth is... Treasure maps leading to buried treasure. <laughs> There's only one um, one documented case of pirates burying their treasure, and we'll discuss that one towards the end of the episode. The truth is, pirates rarely possessed gold. The items they stole were usually tools or rope or food, clothing, even general merchant uh, cargo. If they managed to acquire any money at all, they immediately spent it in <laughs> port on gambling, That's liquor, right. and women. Uh, Lots of rum. Yeah. Uh, if if pirates did bury their ill-gotten gains on a lonely island, they would have had difficulty relocating it because, you know, changing inlets and shifting sands would make it nearly impossible to find. And, and again, not knowing how to write. Right. <laughs> yes. Stop that. Well, you don't have to know how to write to put an X on a map. Uh, you <laughs> know how to read the map. <laughs> yeah, up. I guess you do. You gotta, I'm st- you I wanna, at least know X. I want to hang on to that treasure map thing, that idea. <laughs> well, there is actually one, and we'll get to it later on, that was pretty well known. It's kind of what fostered that whole myth. Um, another favorite myth is that pirates made their prisoners walk the plank. Uh, it's a total fabrication made for fiction in Hollywood. Made real, for a good story, but it wasn't actually Yeah, yeah. really they no basis just, in history. If they wanted to get rid of you for breaking the rules, they just check you off. Just the threw board. you overboard <laughs> or abandoned you on a desert island with no water. Seems like that'd be a kind of a hard way to go. Uh, the the lives of real life pirates, from what we know, well, from the fragmented historical records that we have, is that most pirates were young men with a life expectancy of around 26 years of age. Many mm-hmm. of them were people who did not fit into normal society, kind of going back to your buccaneers definition earlier, uh, and taking to the sea offered a freedom that they could not attain in a royal navy or on a merchant ship where mundane routine and rules were the order of the day. Most pirates were sailors from the lower class who became disillusioned with life under unfair and unforgiving conditions and harsh taskmasters. As pirates, they could be their own boss and choose their own life. That's right. And so, you know, you mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack mm-hmm. Sparrow and everything. Right. And and one of the things, one of the tropes that plays big in that is the pirate code. Yes. And when these pirates came up through there, they were able to create their own codes. And they did. Like, there were different. It yep. was There was no one code. Right. Code. No, right. But they would create their own codes of, like, women are not allowed on ship. Right. Or, and this is what you do. No fighting on ship. If you, if you have something, you know, 
yeah, to, to fight it out. Yeah. You got to wait till you get to land, and then they, you duel out there, and whoever survives what comes back. Yeah, that sort of thing. So uh, there's a lot of different codes that are, are that we know about that were written down by somebody uh, for diff- the different pirates. It's really kind of cool. I always thought keel hauling was something that pirates did, but actually that was the regular Navy that did that. Right. What is, keel what is hauling that? was you tie a rope around somebody, run the rope completely under the ship, and you throw them in the water and you pull them under the, under the keel. <laughs> yep. And uh, most likely they will drown, drown or the, the barnacles on the bottom of the so oh. the ship will cut so them it, up. It and, wasn't pleasant. But yeah, no. Not many they, survived being keelhauled. Yeah, they keelhaul a, a pirate or a privateer. Of right. That's a very creative. But that wasn't what private. Uh, that was actually the that's regular very, Navy that yeah. did that. <laughs> so if, if the Navy finally caught you and you were from the other country, working for the other country. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. They, they killed people in creative ways. I'll just give you that. So everyone knows that any self-respecting pirate wore an eye patch of over course. one eye. Of course, why not? It could mean that they lost an eye during a bloody swashbuckling battle, or did pirates actually sometimes wear a patch over a good and intact eye? To protect it from yeah. dueling or <laughs> well, no. I think we touched touched on this one on one of our other episodes. According uh, to several websites, there and it's a real it's a thing out there right now. Uh, there's an ingenious reason why. It's been speculated that the wearing of an eye patch over one of their eyes enabled a pirate to quickly adjust to the darkness below deck. You've you've experienced wow. like if you've ever walked into a dark theater from bright outside yeah. or vice versa, mm-hmm. come out out. Yeah, it takes you know <laughs> you're, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust. It can take up to twenty five minutes for the human eyes to adjust from brightness to darkness. Hmm. So the current theory is that pirates would use one eye, say the right eye. In the bright sunshine of the upper deck and leave the left eye covered with a patch. Then going below deck, they would switch the patch and place it over the right eye and use the left eye to better see in the dark. So how brilliant is that? That's pretty good. That's interesting. Except I'm calling it bunk. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't all sailors do that? You know? right? Well, that's <laughs> one of my points. Yeah. Mental floss agrees with me. Yeah. I thought it was just a little too good to be true. It, it, a lot of these explanations like this are a little too good to be true. Um a 2015 article by Mark Machini or Massini, it's M-A-C-I-N-I from mentalfloss.com, explores the various pirate stero- stereotypes, including the wearing of an eye patch. The article mentions that only one famous Arabian ruler and pirate was known for sure to wear one. And he wore the patch because he had actually lost an eye. <laughs> right. Um, that makes more sense. <laughs> but I have a couple other points to to debunk this. It was if it was such a good idea, like you said, if it was such a good idea, why right. didn't other sailors do it? Yeah. Why wasn't it standard Navy issue? Um, so they could easily adjust to different right. light conditions. But another point to make is that human eyes don't work like that. They work in tandem. They work together. Yeah, if you if you're going to be looking outside, your both eyes are going to dilate. Exactly. Even if one is covered, covered. it's called consensual response. No jokes. I didn't know that. I'm I'm just letting that one roll on by. This is a family show. I really thought. (laughs) I'm good if you are. But uh, so if you shine a light into one eye, both eyes respond by restricting the pupil. So wearing an eye patch wouldn't work. And I found that information online uh, in an online neuroscience textbook. But you can test it out for yourself. Stand in front of a mirror in a room that's just light enough for you to be able to see your eyes in the mirror. Right. And then using a flashlight that's not super bright and definitely not a laser pointer, Phil. Uh, shine <laughs> Save that it, for your cat. <laughs> shine it into just one eye and watch. Both of your pupils will react. In conclusion, a, high, a Halloween pirate costume would not be complete without a, an eye patch. But just know that the whole above deck, below deck stuff is just bull hockey. And your yeah. depth perception will have an issue. <laughs> and and one more thing. That made me – I kind of getting off topic here. But that made me want to point out that shipbuilders used deck prisms to bring light below deck. A deck prism – is this really cool-looking large hunk of glass right. cast into the shape of a diamond, uh-huh. not like a like a, a wonky square, but like a diamond or forever yeah. kind of thing, right. um, or even a long triangular prism shape. And it would be recessed into the hole in the upper deck, and the light would refract down into the space below. Prisms only uh-huh. work to bring light to that one deck that's 
directly below the top deck though but they're so cool and i want to have i want to get an antique one one of these days that's and, pretty cool and that going cool. it's kind of like those light tubes they put in houses like if you got a dark hallway or something yep. and you know you can, you, you well, can get a light from from the stuff you know i've never i've never seen it in a house but i was going to say that it going even further off topic it makes me think about the grassroots endeavor to bring light to certain slum areas around the around the world uh, it's called leader of light and using the same principle as a deck prism, two liter soda, two liter soda bottles right. are being recycled into solar light bulbs. So they're filled with bleach and water and they're fitted to uh, a roofing material, kind of like corrugated metal or whatever. Yeah. And then then they're placed down on top of this slum uh, housing unit that, I mean, a lot of these people don't have electricity. Right, they just cannot sure. afford electricity. Not um, even available at places. Yeah. Right. And it, it lasts for up to, to five years. So it's just using solar light. Wow. Uh, the movement is active in Argentina, Bangladesh, China, Colombia, India. I mean, it's just has I'd be interested to see how that worked. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. cool. So, it, well, it works just like a deck prism. It's yeah, really cool. it just shines nice. into the room below the the roof. Exactly, it just yeah. reflects or refracts the sunlight. Are, usually, those are one room. Yeah, units anyway, exactly. So mm-hmm. You get a light bulb in the corner. Nice. And now for something completely off topic and off kilter. Brace yourself for the oddity du jour. Well, now for our oddity du jour today. Um, oh, and a few episodes back, I was uh, telling y'all about. Um, I think it was about one our episode about odd foods. Uh, yeah, far few, out foods. Far out foods. Yeah, what mm, fun episode that was. Those were good <laughs> foods. Uh, but a, a few years ago, uh, 2019, my wife Judy and I, uh, we were in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. Edinburgh. You got to say it right. Edinburgh, <laughs> Scotland, <laughs> and uh, we took a day trip uh, through through the uh, Scottish Highlands, and that's the trip we saw Loch Ness, and that's where we tasted haggis. That was what was the tie into that mm, other haggis. episode. Yeah. What I didn't mention before was that there are about 20 different people uh, from various nationalities on this bus with us on this day trip, uh, which is being driven by a kilt-wearing fellow whose actually name was Scott. So kilt-wearing <laughs> Scott, Scott named Scott. Scott. Exactly. <laughs> At some point along the way, Scott sang the Scottish national anthem. No, not the UK national anthem, but Scotland, even though it's part of the UK, they are very their own very pride, uh, proud people uh, of their own nationhood. And uh, even though it's part of the UK, there is a separate Scottish national anthem. And like Scott, Scotland the Brave. I believe so. so. Yeah. So then he said, "Now I want to hear each of you sing your your national anthem. You start, Tex." And he was referring to me because I'd uh, introduced <laughs> ourselves earlier as being uh, from Texas. And so, uh, you know, uh, well, I love our national anthem. I really do. Right. I love the history behind it. And Francis Scott Key, you know, uh, looking for the flag uh, uh, after the after the night of the Battle of Fort McHenry. But let's face it, our song is hard to sing. It is. It is incredibly <laughs> hard to sing. Really hard to sing. I've learned a long time ago that if you're going to sing it decently, at least for me, I have to start it really low, like, oh, say, can you see? <laughs> you know, because otherwise when you get to that... Land of the free, really high part. <laughs> it would be there would be no way I could reach it. So anyway, um, we took off singing it, and uh, my wife and I, and there was a couple of other Americans, I think, and so we did our bit. Uh, then there was a there was a family from Spain. They did theirs, and there was a family from Israel. Uh, they did theirs, and then there was a family from the Netherlands, kind of a larger group from the Netherlands, and they uh, they all sang theirs, and it was kind of fun. We all clapped for each other uh, after each. After we finished, and um, it was just a kind of a neat experience That's while we were time. riding through the Scottish Highlands. Well, uh, the other day I saw a little quiz from a website called TravelTrivia.com. I kind of like this; they show up in my email every day. I don't know how I got them, but I'm glad I do. Uh, anyway, that asks which country has the oldest national anthem. All right, and they gave four choices. Let's see if you guys know this. Um, the choices are A, France; B, Russia. C, the Netherlands, or D, the United Kingdom. Which one do you think has the oldest national anthem? I, Part of me wants to yell ne- the Netherlands. Yeah, well, Netherlands. I, I would have said, I don't like, I'm looking at our notes so I can see the answer, but <laughs> I would have said the United Kingdom. I, I would have said the United Kingdom. That's what I thought, the United Kingdom first. God save the queen or king, depending right. on which, uh, who happens to be on the throne. 
Uh, so, um, you know, the article went on to explain that national anthems are actually a rather new phenomenon, mostly going back only to the early 1800s. Oh, wow. In fact, France was the first country to declare an official national anthem. However, the song they selected, La Marseillaise, uh, which, by the way, I want to talk about La Marseillaise a little bit in just a second. Uh, It was really a relatively new song. Um, And other countries followed suit and also picked fairly new songs, including the U.K. But one country was different, and that being the Netherlands. You were right, Phil. Yeah, you win, Phil. You win, Phil. The music of the Dutch national anthem, Wilhelmus, dates back at least as far as 1572, making it the oldest national anthem in the world by far. It was widely recognized as a national song before it even became the official national anthem. And the lyrics tell the story of William of Orange, uh, who led to the Dutch revolt to gain independence from the Spanish Empire. So while we were on that bus, even though I didn't realize it at the time, I was listening to those folks from the Netherlands sing the world's oldest national anthem. That's oh, cool. Kind of a, uh, yeah. By the way, I really like TravelTrivia.com uh, as they pop out new travel questions every day. It's kind of fun to get those in my email. Now back to La Marseillaise. <clears throat> you know, occasionally uh, the United States gets criticized a bit before our national anthem, kind of glorifying war, you know, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. Right. I had never seen the words to La Marseillaise until uh, I was uh, uh, teaching uh, France and uh, um, the kids asked me something about the national anthem. I said, oh, let's look it up. And so on YouTube, you can find a copy of it with English translation. Okay, if you think ours is bad, <laughs> theirs uh-huh. is the bloodiest national anthem. I mean, they, they literally include the lights. The, the enemy is coming to slit the throats of our sons and wives. Oh. Uh, and wow. then it goes, to arms, citizen, we shall water the furrow of our fields with the blood of our enemies. That's what they sing oh. in front of a... Every hmm. time they have to sing the national anthem. Yeah. They're declaring. That's what, so do they sing it like at baseball games? It, it, like soccer tournaments, like yeah. Soccer tournaments and that oh, kind yeah, of stuff, all for kinds sure. of functions. Wow. Uh, oh, La, wow. La Marseillaise is a very, very patriotic French uh, song. Uh, of course, France has been attacked many times over the years. So and, within them, and within civil wars themselves. So right, it's, absolutely. It's constant. Has been a good deal of fighting going on there. So anyway, that's a little side note about La Marseille and national anthems. Well, now back to our pirates. Um, let's uh, talk about some well-known pirates. First one would be uh, Sir Francis Drake. One of the first notorious pirates to attack East Florida was Sir Francis Drake, who became an English celebrity in his day. Mm-hmm. Unlike many later pirates, he was an accomplished seaman and navigator and the first captain to sail around the globe who lived to tell the tale. Actually, Magellan, you know, he led the first voyage around the world, but Magellan actually was killed before they made it completely back home. So Francis Drake was the first person to actually lead and survive it the whole way. Um, the Spanish saw Drake, whom they called the Sea Dragon, as the most <laughs> ruthless pirate that ever lived. In 1586, while returning back to England on the swift Gulf Stream current, Drake heard rumors of a tiny outpost on the Spanish frontier in La Florida. After spotting a wooden watchtower on today's Anastasia Island near St. Augustine, uh, he attacked the uh, military outpost with a vengeance. He destroyed the wooden fort, confiscated the soldiers' pay box, and burned every standing building, and stole everything he could lay his hands on. By the time he left, St. Augustine was leveled to the ground. Most of the Spanish citizens survived by escaping into the woods and seeking refuge with the local Timuacan Indians. So Goodness. Francis Drake, not such a uh, nice fellow, but a, certainly a feared pirate. Then there's Robert Searles. Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> no, Dread <I'm> Pirate <laughs> Robert. <laughs> no, he's not. that's not who he is. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Another famous pirate to attack East Florida was Englishman Robert Searles. His attack on St. Augustine in 1668 caused a lasting and profound change to the city. By the way, I believe St. Augustine is the oldest European colony in North America. Well, anyway, Robert Searle's crew captured a ship off the coast of Cuba uh, that was carrying flour to St. Augustine, and they used it as the ultimate camouflage. As he sailed into St. Augustine's harbor, he made the Spanish crew carry on their duties as if nothing was wrong, 
while his men hid below the decks, ready for action. St. Augustine was always on edge, and they sent out the harbor pilot just to make sure everything was copacetic. (laughs) Cyril's crew captured the harbor pilot and forced him to give the all-clear signal to the town. Mm. Cyril and his company laid in wait until midnight to make their advance on the city. When midnight fell upon the sleeping town, the pirates came ashore with guns blazing and chaos broke out in the streets. With little resistance from the Spanish soldiers, pirates pillaged and murdered. They killed over 60 citizens, which represented a quarter of the city's population. Anyone who was not of pure Spanish blood was taken captive and sold into slavery. Prominent citizens were held as hostage and were released only when a ransom of food, clothing, and tools was met. Curiously, the pirates did not destroy the city. Witnesses reported the pirates took soundings in the harbor, which meant that they intended to return for a second round. It took many months for the word uh, for word to reach uh, back to Spain of the devastating attack. However, the Spanish crown was determined to take action to ensure that this would never happen again. Florida had a significant strate- uh, strategic value to, the, to Spain because it protected their trade routes from Cuba to Europe. The aftermath of the Cyril's attack resulted in the Spanish finally deciding to dedicate funds to upgrade their defenses and build a massive uh, Coquina Fort. The uh, Castillo de San Marcos was completed in 1695 and is the oldest masonry fort in North America. Cyril's pirate attack was the last successful taking of the town. Once the fort was completed, the city was never defeated again, even when facing overwhelming force. Wow. wow that's, that's crazy. Yeah. So the Spanish replied. Yeah, we got that. I see. I see what you did. Not going <laughs> to happen again. Well, now here's another one. The story of the pirate Henry Jennings is pretty remarkable, as he is one of the few pirates that actually acquired treasure, and lots of it. In 1715, the Spanish crown was desperate for money to fund years of an ongoing war. The Spanish king ordered the Spanish treasure fleet to set sail from Cuba in August, despite the threat of hurricane season. As the fleet neared Cape Canaveral, a hurricane smashed it against the Florida coast. Mm. The ships carrying uh, uh, jewels, gold, and silver were torn apart in the shallow waters of Port St. Lucie, all the way to the Melbourne Beach. The royal treasure now set in shallow water a mere 100 yards offshore. As the survivors tried to get word back to Cuba, the rumors began to spread throughout the Caribbean of the wrecked treasure fleet. (laughs) Here we all go! Henry Jennings, a captain and landowner in Jamaica, heard these rumors. In spring 1716, he gathered a crew and departed from Port Royal, Jamaica, on his ship, the Bathsheba. (laughs) Yeah, good name for a ship. Upon arriving in Florida, he found the Spanish attempting to salvage the treasure near present-day Sebastian Inlet. He attacked the encampment, and he stole over 340,000 Spanish coins, known as pieces of eight, from the lightly guarded storehouse without killing a single person. He returned a second time and stole more treasure before retiring from pirating. Well, I wonder why. <laughs> he, he stole it. That was his retirement. We're done. Like, Thanks, guys. Pretty much stole all there was to steal. The early I, 1700s I can, became... I can start my own rum store now. That's right. <laughs> became known as the golden age of pirates. This is when uh, pirates that we know today, like Blackbeard and Calico Jack, operated uh, in 1717 the English government finally took decisive action to stop the out-of-control piracy in the Caribbean. Yeah, this is going to work well. Yeah. The king decided a royal proclamation, I'm sorry, the king declared a royal proclamation to stop the looting. All pirates who accepted the royal proclamation by signing their names received a royal pardon. Oh, Seems that's, well. yeah. And keelhauled. <laughs> <laughs> the king of England even sent Woods Rogers a former pirate himself, to oversee and enforce the proclamation. Henry Jennings decided it was a good idea to sign the royal pardon, and then he retired a wealthy pirate, (laughs) probably to Bermuda or perhaps to Charleston, before fading into pirate history. He remains one of the rare pirates that retired on their booty. Once again, we thank uh, James Zacharias <laughs> for allowing really us that? to quote yes, his article. You <laughs> like that retiring on his booty? Yeah, All was... the school kids are laughing right now. <laughs> exactly. His, yes, his rear end. That's right. <laughs> you know, we really appreciate all of our listeners. 
And if you really enjoy podcasts, here's another one that you might be interested in. Hello, Internet friends, and welcome to Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random Internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. This is the show where we pretty much just wander around Wikipedia, but we try to put rules on it. Um, we start out on the same page every week, and we click away from that page using links in Wikipedia until we stop on something, probably unintentionally, that we cannot stop ourselves from reading. So, along with just doing what we love best, which is Googling random things and going down rabbit holes, we're actually getting to know each other in front of all of you, which is great fun. Our travels through Wikipedia could lead us anywhere, so you never know what interesting topic you're going to hear about. Places we've previously visited on Wikipedia include... I ended up on a book called The Book of Wonders or The Book of Surprises. The legend of the Cock Lane Ghost. Mimics from D&D. Cursed tablets. I ended up in something called the Munsell Color System. I ended up on product placement. Listen by searching for Go Ask Alice wherever you get your podcasts. Or by going simply to tinyurl.com slash goaskalicepod. Now here's another uh, colorful uh, pirate. His name is Calico Jack Rackham, R-A-C-H-A-M. Wait, 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 wait. A pirate that carries around a cat? That's just weird. We're no, talk- that calico, should be means, a parrot. calico means other things. And it means a, a, a fabric of... Uh, multicolored. Yeah, multicolored and, and usually Flash, flowery. Flashy, yeah. yeah he's, in, fact, he's... in fact, as the name might suggest, there were a few pirates as flamboyant and flashy as Calico Jack Rackham. <laughs> he was well known for his stylish clothing, his bold and brave fighting style, and his poor decision making. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the fi- fighting style. <laughs> yes. His light burned brightly, though briefly, in the Caribbean <laughs> during the early 1700s. Calico Jack was an Englishman who served on the ship of another pirate named Charles Vane. In 1718, their ship came upon a large French warship just outside of New York Harbor. Captain Vane didn't want to challenge this large vessel, but Calico Jack rallied the crew and attempted to take the ship and its cargo. Let's take it anyway. The attack was unsuccessful, but the crew loved Calico Jack's fighting spirit, and thus they voted Vane out and made Calico Jack the new ship's captain. Mutiny! It is believed that Calico Jack fashioned the Jolly Roger flag, with its prominent skull and crossbones. Leah's going to tell you more about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Jack's uh, Calico Jack's decision-making tended to fall into the category of, uh, let's say, impulsive. Chaos. It was mostly act first, think later. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't a great idea. As we could have named him Redneck Jack, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. A, hey, You're... y'all, watch this. Well, never mind. Hold my grog. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, while sailing along the eastern coast of the American colonies, Jack would see a town and shout, Let's go raid it! (laughs) These raids uh, yielded very little gain. Wait, that's my house! (laughs) And they only managed to anger local merchants into hiring privateers to chase after Jack and his crew. Then one day, Calico Jack spied an untended large merchant ship called the Kingston. Let's go steal it, yelled Jack. (laughs) Soon he and his crew had boarded the Kingston and off they went with it. But this large ship was much easier for those privateers to track. While Jack and his crew were camped out on an island near Cuba, the privateers recaptured the ship, while Jack and his crew hid in the interior of the island, alive, but now with no ship. Oh. <laughs> I think they were drunk uh, as, the, uh, as the privateers came along. Something else I read said that. Well, anyway, after this misadventure, Calico Jack decided to turn over a new leaf. In the small makeshift boat, Jack and some of his crew sailed from Cuba to Nassau in the Bahamas, where he presented himself again before the same fellow, Governor Woods Rogers, begging for a pardon. Jack claimed that Vane, uh, that the previous pirate Vane had forced him into piracy. He promised to help the governor rid the Caribbean of pirates, and thus his pardon was granted. But impulsive decision-making didn't go away, and <laughs> troubles soon followed. This time in the form of a woman. The plot thickens. In Nassau, Jack fell in love with a woman named Anne Bonney, the wife of James Bonney, who was one of the governor's lieutenants. When their affair was discovered, (laughs) 
Jack uh, attempted to buy off Anne's husband, which only served to infuriate Anne. (laughs) (laughs) Then the governor issued an order that Anne should be whipped for her adultery. Well, Jack decided to steal the ship and whisk her away. Piracy again. (laughs) Of course, this voided his pardon, so Jack recruited a new crew and once again set off to rob and plunder, now with Anne by his side, dressed as a man. (laughs) course because you can't take a woman on a ship she was a character right she was and well okay so you say you could take well, women on that was that was part of a lot of the pirate of the codes, yeah. right. but not luck. but not all of them yeah right. so it's calico and bonnie yeah yep running around well then it got even more interesting because during one of their attacks calico jack captured the crew of a merchant ship and he took on a sailor with an interesting secret of her own oh Mary Reed had lived and worked dressed as a man from the time she was a teenager. Thus, Calico Jack Rackham became the only known pirate captain with two cross-dressing women on his crew. (laughs) It might seem like this trick would have been uh, hard to pull off, but apparently Bonnie and Reed were pretty tough ladies, able to fight and scrap with the best of them. Like most pirate stories, Calico Jack's does not end well. Within months of his hasty departure from Nassau, he and his crew were captured by the famous pirate hunter Jonathan Barnett. Apparently, they were caught off guard while on a drunken bender and were detained (laughs) with little trouble. On November 17, 1720, just two years after his exploits began, Jack was hanged for his crimes. No pardon this time. But on a touching note, Anne Barney did have a few, uh, few words, a few last words for Jack. Quote, if you had only fought like a man, you wouldn't hang like a dog, she said. <laughs> As for Mary and Anne, they both claimed to be pregnant, and thus their hanging was delayed. Mary Reed died in prison, but Anne Bonnie appears to have escaped. However, it is uncertain what eventually happened to her. She just sort of disappeared from the pages of history. Now, there were female pirates. Those are two of the best-known ones. And then I think there's... I think her name was Grace O'Malley. She's a, an Irish pirate, and she's very ruthless. Uh, I didn't look her up. We don't have her story here, but that's something for you guys to Google. Right. Well, okay, so you mentioned the, the Jolly Roger, right. the flag that uh, that's it's the pirate flag. It's black with a white skull and crossbones emblazoned on it, designed to strike fear into the hearts of those Rawr. the pirates were planning we're to attack. for you. <laughs> and uh, again, the flag is referred to as the Jolly Roger. The black and white flag is, that I just described is one that Hollywood made famous. And nearly all depictions of pirate flags in modern culture look like that. But in reality, there were a lot more variations in right. pirate flags. And most pirates had a flag that was specific to their ship. The color red was featured a lot as well, yeah. along with the the regular black and white. Sometimes a full skeleton was on a flag or just the skull with no crossbones. Some show the skull from the side instead of head, head on. on. Yeah. And uh, still some flags had other elements on them, such as an hourglass, uh, kind of the me- memento mori. Yeah. Like we, yeah. Okay. Time is coming. Um, a sword, a dagger. I even saw one that showed uh, a pirate with a dagger in one hand, and he's standing on two skulls. And he's got a <laughs> wow. foot on each skull. Uh, Blackbeard's flag featured a white skeleton raising a toast with one hand and spearing a red heart with the other. <laughs> One thing all the flags had in common, though, were the representation of uh, a, a death coming yeah. to you. <laughs> we're not here with good intentions, folks. So, no one knows, though, for sure how the pirate flag came to be known as the Jolly Roger. I always thought that Jolly came from the, the morbidly grinning skull, right? Right. And that Roger was a, a random name that stuck. According to the straightdope.com, one theory is that some pirates operating in the West Indies used a flag dipped in red paint or even blood, whichever could be gotten more conveniently. And the French supposedly called this the Jolie Rouge, which translates to pretty red. And the name was uh, corrupted over time to Jolly Jolly Roger. Roger. It was piratized. Well, you know, the governor, that was his last name was Rogers, too. I mean, that could have been a tie into it as well. It, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of possibilities. Another theory is that the name was taken from Allah Raja, a term that certain Asian pirates were calling themselves. Oh. Translates to King of the Seas. I like that one. The English pirates naturally thought that they were the kings of the seas and so appropriated the name and amended it to, for their own use. 
The straightdope.com speculates that both of these, though, are so plausible as to be implausible, kind of like the eye patch <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Rarely yeah. does etymology of words make that much sense. Most likely, Jolly came from the grinning skull, and Roger came from a term given to vagabonds or travelers or even the devil himself because he was commonly referred to at that time as Old Roger. The devil was called Old Roger. Yeah, kind of like I, I've never like heard scr- that one before. <laughs> I, I, I've heard it. I've heard like Old Scratch. and, and yeah. Anyway, I've heard Old Roger. Oh, interesting. Now, I found a really cool, interesting article, uh, 2016 article on bbc.co.uk. It says that, and how do you pronounce that? Edinburgh? Edinburgh. 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 That in Edinburgh, Scotland, students at Victoria Primary School got quite a surprise. An expansion of the primary school was in the works, and while laborers were digging up the school playground, human skeletal remains were uncovered. A study of the skeleton determined to be determined it to be that of a man who died in his fifties. Archaeological archaeologists. Archaeologists. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> those guys. Archaeologists. I couldn't say it. Uh, they used carbon dating to find that the bones were about six hundred years old. That would place the man as living in the 16th or 17th century. Furthermore, the school's neighborhood of New Haven was once a bustling fishing village and port. Because of this, and the fact that the man was not buried in a graveyard but by the harbor suggests that he was executed as a criminal. And it's a good Mm. indication that the skeleton under the playground belonged to a pirate. Pirates used to be, you know, executed right there in the the harbor and the port and put on display. You know, their their bodies would hang there for quite some time. Uh, as a ter- deterrent to anyone who might be singing the tune, it's a pirate's life for me. <laughs> <laughs> the school's head teacher, Laura Thompson, said, quote, the pupils think it's fantastic that a skeleton was found <laughs> deep underneath their playground. The archaeologists will hold a special lesson with some of the children about how they have used science to analyze the remains. And so it'll be a good learning opportunity for them. Oh, for sure. Nice. A yeah. forensic. And, and I got this. This was a 2016 article. So. You know, that it probably has happened by that time that the archaeologists came in. But for the rest of the school in. year, those kids are running around going, Arr, teacher! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a forensic artist created a reconstruction from the skull to, to determine what the man may have looked like. And we'll have that picture on our Facebook and Instagram. Nice. nice. Uh, and that, that article was by Shaughnessy Farrow for mentalfloss.com and, uh, and also got information from bbc.co.uk slash news around nice you know edinburgh is such an interesting city such so many fascinating bits to their history there it's interesting really that, the time that I spent there. you researched and and brought up edinburgh and i researched and also brought <laughs> up. all right what do they got well is that, now, the reti- is that like florida is the retirement for us now but that was where pirates retired um i don't know there, there was a lot of their the history of the British Isles took place. Battles took place there. There's still oh, the original true. wall that was that protected them from England. You know, England and Scotland would fight each other, and um, yeah. yeah. Well, that particular pirate retired there, but not yeah. in a yeah. good way. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a the the harbor there, and it's I've never heard this expression anywhere. With the harbor is called the Firth of Forth. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. The Firth of Forth. Firth of Forth. Yeah. All right. Well, now on to another pirate. How about William Kidd, or better known as Captain Kidd? Speaking of Scotland, he was a Scottish privateer operating under commission granted by the English governor of the colony of New York. Assigned uh, to hunt pirates and harass the French. (laughs) Just harass the French. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Kidd apparently got bored and turned to piracy when he attacked an Indian uh, treasure ship in 1697. Kidd saw this was within his charter, but the Crown did not agree. You see, India was also part of the British colonies at that time. (laughs) That's right. Uh, When uh, Kidd sailed to the Caribbean, he found out he was a wanted man. Believing that friends in the colonies could help clear his name, he set sail for New York, where he was arrested upon his arrival, taken to England, and tried as a pirate. During the trial, Kidd pleaded his, his innocence. When details of his exploits came out, including his violence towards prisoners and his own crew, and his interaction with well-known pirate Robert Guilford, Kidd found few sympathizers. He was deemed guilty, and he was hanged on May 24, 1701. End of story. Oh, but wait, there's more. Of course there is. (laughs) 
Kid's tale would be quite mundane, if not for one very interesting footnote. Before turning himself over to authorities in New York, Kid buried treasure on Gardner's Island off the coast of Long Island. Upon arrest, Kid explained where he had hidden his stash, and the items were actually recovered. Before his execution, Kid taunted his captors by letting them know there was still treasure to be had, and only he knew the location. His words were ignored, but to some today believe that there still may be secrets out there buried and awaiting discovery. And then it got more interesting more than a hundred years later, or several hundred years later, actually. Uh, there were two brothers named Hubert and Guy Palmer, and uh, they were fascinated by all things involving pirates. Of course. They even opened up a pirate museum in England, and they set upon acquiring items that had belonged to notable pirates. In 1929, they purchased the desk and other furnishings that had actually belonged to Captain Kidd. It turns out that the desk contained a secret compartment. Oh, wait. This is cool. <laughs> this is cool. The brothers managed to open it and inside found a cryptic map. The map showed an island with an X, which the Palmer brothers presumed marked the location of Kid's treasure. Thus encouraged, they began to acquire and then disassemble more pieces of Kid's furniture, and sure enough, three more maps were located. One of the maps included labeling on the water around the island as, quote, China Sea. The current whereabouts of those original maps is unknown. Only copies remain available today. Numerous explorers have searched for the island, but to this point, nobody has recovered Kid's lost treasure. Many people believe that Oak Island, Nova Scotia, along Canada's east coast, may be the, the resting place of Captain Kidd's treasure. It appears that in 1795, an explorer found a depression in the ground and a tackle block located in a nearby tree that would have been used for hoisting. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the man recruited some friends, and they began digging. As they dug, they discovered a layer of flat stones and then a layer of logs every few feet. They gave up the dig after 30 feet as the walls were beginning to cave in on them, but definitely somebody had buried something there. Over time, the location became known as the Money Pit. I believe that the History Channel has, uh, has been okay. doing a special on this. So, yes, and they have several, several, um, what do you call it? Not episodes, but uh, yeah. series, series. Yeah. like series seasons, okay? And I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Why you watch this? Like it was okay. I love treasure maps and I love treasure and I love right. hunts and all of that. So we started watching it and it's like, oh, we found a nail. Oh, you know, and so seasons and seasons right. and seasons of this. I can't it's believe it. It's another nail. It's another nail. It's a timber, yeah. you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, they can, they can date it back, yes. but they have never found right. anything significant. And so it is a money pit. But you got to you got to think different kind of pouring money into it. Is yeah. this Captain Kidd's entertainment? Yeah, that's have, right. Right. That's right. There's really nothing there. I just want you to think there is, and I buried something, but it's not what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be just random nothing. Well, I left over have, lunch. You never know. They have excavated and excavated way right. down in this. Anyway, and you got to start thinking. Really, would they have dug this deep? <laughs> really? And, and, Would and, they have dug this deep? And apparently they dug uh, shafts. Yeah, yeah, shafts coming uh, from the uh, lagoon to fill it up with water. And oh, yeah. Anyway. Many expeditions have put a great deal of effort into discovering the secrets of the money pit, only to come up short. Could this be the final resting place of Captain Kidd's treasure? Some believe so. Or just a humor pit that yeah, doesn't have be. anything whatsoever. <laughs> just Various money. scattered artifacts have been located that appear to be hundreds of years old and not native to the island, but no large treasure has ever been located. People are still studying kids' maps found by the Palmer brothers <clears throat> so many years ago. Alleged sites of kids' islands range from near Hong Kong to the Caribbean to the Indian Ocean, and excavation is still going on at Oak Island, managed by the Oak Island Tours. Yet still, no treasure has been found. But one lost artifact of kids has turned up, uh, and that would be his actual treasure ship. In 2007, the remains of the, it's Q-U-E-D-A-G-H, Quidaga Merchant. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, the ship Kid had commandeered in the Indian Ocean 
heavy with treasure, were found off the coast of the Catalina Island in the Dominican Republic. One account says Kidd's own crew looted and burned the ship while Kidd was imprisoned in New York. Another says that the, uh, the pirate Robert Guilford overwhelmed Kidd and his men, looted and destroyed the ship, but no one knows for sure. The story of William Kidd is an odd one, filled with mysteries and half-truths. Kidd may have been an innocent man, or he may have been the rogue pirate uh, that the English government made him out to be. Either way, he took his secret to the grave with him on the day that he was hanged over 300 years ago. Wow. Interesting story. But that's where we get the thing about treasure maps. It's all because of that one pirate, Captain Kidd. And and going back to Oak Island, um, so the TV show is called The Curse of Oak Island. Right. It's two brothers, again, you know, the brother thing, uh, Rick and Marty Lagina, and there's nine seasons. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't so, found anything yet. Well, they found plenty, but just nothing. Nothing like, substantial. Nothing more than a nail and a timber and, a, you know, things like oh. that. <laughs> So to close out our discussion, I have to tell you that coming up soon on September 19th is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. And like we discussed, in reality, pirates didn't speak any differently than the other sailors of that time. But we'll talk like Hollywood pirates then. (laughs) (laughs) They spoke the language, dialect, and colloquialisms of wherever they came from. But don't let that stop you from having fun. (laughs) From mentalfloss.com, we have some Talk Like a Pirate Day fast facts. Two friends, John Bauer, otherwise known as Old Chum Bucket. Mm-hmm. Of course. And not? Mark Sumner. No, I'm sorry. Mark Summer, a.k.a. Captain Slappy. Captain Slappy. <laughs> <laughs> and Chum Bucket. They, they were their friends, and they were playing racquetball when they came up with this idea of an international talk like a pirate day, a day of swashbuckling fun. The annual phenomenon has taken the world by storm, having been observed by every continent, the International Space Station, (laughs) and even the Oval Office, I think, when Obama was there, since it first made headlines back in 2002. Like I said, what we consider to be pirate lingo and talk is not actually how they communicate it, but where did... It's still fun. Yeah, where did pirate dialect come from? Summers and Bauer credit actor Robert Newton's performance in the 1950 movie Treasure Island. You remember uh, that? Yep, yep, yep. yep. That would and sense. have accordingly canonized him as the patron saint of their holiday. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. Robert Newton. <laughs> the Washington Post gives us some ideas of how to celebrate September 19th, the scurviest day of the year. You can, you you got to decorate, right? You got to right. decorate yeah, with done. fishing nets, the Jolly Roger, empty liquor bottles, and parrots. <laughs> uh-huh. right. Oh, yeah, the parrot on their shoulder. That was always one. Uh, yeah, we never really talked about that, but yeah. that's kind of a Hollywood trope as yeah. well. Yes. Um, adopt a pirate nickname. You can search online. There's There's various websites for a pirate name generator to help you out. Yeah, you know, it's really good that the Washington Post, uh, their excellent journalism, has gone to the trouble to assemble this <laughs> list for us. <laughs> Thank and, you. And while you're Googling, uh-huh. check out an English to pirate translator to, to learn how to properly speak piratees, how mm-hmm. Hollywood piratees, that is. <laughs> if you're on Facebook, you can change your Facebook language. Under general settings, select English and in parentheses, pirate. Nice. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. You can always sing a salty sea shanty. And bed on the duck man's chest. Yo ho ho in a bottle of rum. <laughs> you can bathe, bathe in bilge water. Yeah, That's my own addition. No. <laughs> Learn to tie um, a sailing knot. Now that would be a useful skill right there. That's right. Knots. Hey, I was thinking, wait, wait, we're going back to the bathe in bilge water. <laughs> I just slipped that in there. I wanted to just keep on going, but you had to go back to it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and finally, plan a pirate scavenger hunt for the little buccaneers in your life, complete uh-huh. with a treasure map and where X marks the spot. That's fun. However you plan to celebrate, we wish you a scurvy, flea-bitten, but happy Talk Like a Pirate Day. Arr. Arr. And now it's time, boys and girls, for the trivia challenge. <laughs> All right, now the trivia challenge. You know how this works, folks. Like and follow our Facebook page at Remnant Stew Podcast. Like and share this episode post. Put your name, uh, put your answer to the trivia challenge question in the comments of that post. The first person to do all of that will be the winner. 
and will be mentioned in an upcoming episode of Remnant Stoop. However, we are doing something a little new, new, ding, 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 ding. We are opening our trivia challenge up to school kids. Yeah, All come right. on, kids. Come on. <laughs> if your classroom listens to Remnants Do, and why shouldn't you? Absolutely. Uh, and they want to answer the trivia questions, then send us an email with their answer to staycurious at remnantsdo.com. If your class wins, we'll send a nice little care package to the class. All right. So the question today is, in this iconic film, the pirate skeleton prop is an actual skeleton, not of a pirate, though, of a man who died from lead poisoning named Raoul Wu. Name that movie. A creepy movie, i got to say. That's a little weird. <laughs> Our thank you for spending this time with us. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Remnant Stew Podcast. You can also send us an email or just say hi. To suggest a topic in the future episode, at Stay Curious at RemnantStew.com. Are, are you a pirate or one of the Beatles? That yes. Actually, sounds like, you know, Lucky Charms, Leprechaun. It's a little of both. You're welcome. Remnant Stew is created by me, Leah Lamp. Dr. Stephen Meeker and I research, write, and host each episode, along with strange commentary by our audio producer, <laughs> Philip Sinkfeld. You're welcome. And you love Theme it. music is by Kevin McLeod with voiceover by Morgan Hughes. And special go- thanks goes out to Judy Meeker, who helps us with research, and Harbin Gould, that helps us with Trivia Challenge. Well, now, before you go, please hit the follow button so you won't miss an episode. Head over to Apple Music and leave us a review. We love reading those reviews. Share Remnant Stew with your family, your friends, and the Pittsburgh Pirates in case you happen to run into them. Until next time, remember, choose to be kind and and always stay curious. curious.